It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Never have two shades of blue look so different. Manchester City, having firmly established themselves as title favorites, are still perfect, still unscored on, and still buying players. Meanwhile, Chelsea, picked by most to retain their title, were issued another huge wake-up call, this time by Crystal Palace. Manchester United slipped in Wales, Arsenal were kicked at Newcastle, while Liverpool got hammered. Welcome everybody to this edition of the World Soccer Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Farley. Thank you very much for joining us. And Kartik, welcome to the show. Uh, Kartik Krishnayar, are my co-host for this segment. We're going to break things up a little bit this week. Lawrence is going to be joining us later in the show, or joining me later in the show, uh, kind of a tag team effort this week. But Kartik, I wanted to give you this platform in the first uh, segment of the show because another weekend, another City win, another clean sheet, and even more indication that this, this season, if City's not going to win this league, they're going to define this league. Yeah, I think everybody's reacting to Manchester City at this point. Uh, we saw another really tidy performance. It wasn't spectacular, but really tidy. It was so controlling. They didn't even have to get out of first gear, it seemed like. Yeah, right. A, a very, very uh, probing, uh, controlled performance. Never really threatened at the back. And, uh, and this is a Watford side that hasn't given up many goals this season. Right. And Kiki Flores has them well-organized, well-drilled. They're going to get the, their results in this league, and they, they already had, right? They, they came in with three draws. And they played very well on the opening day at Goodison. I, I think the thing that's most notable about this city side is that there is a real spirit, a real hunger in the side uh, to, re, to, to, to kind of erase the demons of last season. Uh, last season uh, just didn't go very well, and it looked like players were disinterested. It looked like players had quit on the club. There was all sorts of talk that Manuel Pellegrini was going to get the sack and that Patrick Vieira was going to be a caretaker uh, so that the club could wait for Pep Guardiola. None of that happened. Uh, and I think the, the thing that's significant is the players have always been on Pellegrini's side. He's that kind of manager. He, mm-hmm. he engenders that kind of loyalty. And we saw it in the very first game against West Brom uh, just three weeks ago when uh, after the goal, company ran up to the, to the supporters and, 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 and bonded with the supporters. And we see it every time... Uh, there are boos at away grounds for Raheem Sterling, who's now this pantomime villain, as defined by Liverpool supporters. Right, and 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 media. gotta love English soccer sometimes. Yeah, right, and and media who, in many cases, were just very sympathetic yeah. to Liverpool, so they made him into the villain. It's it's, it's all fringe elements, but it is yeah. characteristic of this league. Right, but we're seeing what we saw last week, and I thought this was really significant in the game against Everton when Sterling got subbed off. We saw every City player kind of go up to him. Yeah, that was telling. Yeah, that was very telling of the spirit. And they know, the veteran players know they need to carry that guy. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, They need to carry his spirits. And and he looks like a much happier player than he did at Liverpool the second half of last season. So I think it's it's all working. It could still be the honeymoon, too. But, you know, there isn't a lot to talk about in this game. I think uh, Watford wasn't bad. They were just going up against a juggernaut at this point. The juggernaut controlled the whole game. So there really isn't a lot of insight into this. There's there's one thing regarding Raheem Sterling that I want to hit on quickly. But you had mentioned Pellegrini and the spirit behind Pellegrini. I really wonder if this is going to change the way people evaluate managers. Obviously, at the end of last season, everybody was under the assumption that Pellegrini was either gone or this season was going to be his last season. And who knows, that might not be the case. Uh, But maybe it'll at least get us thinking that continuity is something that we undervalue. That organizations, and maybe Tiki Bagiristan is a little bit different in this, that he might want to look beyond one year. But maybe continuity is something that organizations value more than the talk around these organizations. That's very true because it was also stunning to folks uh, in the preseason when uh, Pellegrini was giving a contract instruction because the assumption was right. he's getting sacked, he's getting sacked any day towards the end of last season. Then it was, okay, he's going to get sacked over the summer, uh, Pep is leaving Bayern. And then when that became obvious that that wasn't happening, the talk became very clearly, oh, well, Patrick Vieira will be the caretaker. Uh, he, he, he'll, he'll, he'll manage a team or they'll find another caretaker manager mm-hmm. and then they'll just wait for Pep. Well, that's not... Yeah. Uh, the level of ambition of this club now. They, they, they didn't... Oh, and the other other narrative was that the team is going to be blown up. Uh, they're going to sell about 10 guys, which yeah. didn't happen, right? No. We, we saw um, Jovatic and Dzeko. Dzeko has, had, had been a very, very useful, successful player for the club. It was kind of sad to see him go. But right. uh, the other other player sales were of uh, guys like Jovatic who never panned out and mm-hmm. uh, youth players like uh, Boy- who had come through the system like Boyata, Rakic, and now... Uh, Ronnie Lopes, uh, the young Portuguese yeah. international. That, that, that was, was surprising. Un- yeah, that was surprising, and I think a lot of supporters are, are very unhappy about that. Well, the manager um, seems to be unhappy about it, or we can we can uh, extrapolate and figure that he at least didn't want that to happen. Right, yeah, and, and unfortunately this is part of the model with the uh, with the director of football with, with Bergestan, as, as you mentioned. The one guy, though, and this gets back to our big talking point, the one guy, Pellegrini, from one all my sources that I talked to on the, uh, in Manchester tell me the one guy he felt coming into the summer, if he was going to make a go of this and keep his job, that he needed was Raheem Sterling because of just the difference, uh, different type of look that he can give Manchester City and the way he fits into the ideal way Pellegrini wants to play. He hasn't had that player his first two seasons at City in spite of winning the title his first season. He wanted that player very badly. People in the media felt like Manchester City paid over the moon for him, and and were. Uh, uh, but but the, the reality was, Pellegrini identified one target. He identified him on May 25th. The season ended on May 24th. Manchester City right away. Uh, the player was unsettled. Remember, he didn't even dress for that last Liverpool game against Stoke last season. Hmm. Right away, uh, Bergestan and Soriano uh, went out to try and make uh, Pellegrini happy. Get this player. Uh, ended up having to pay 44 million for him which is looking like a bargain, but that's all Pellegrini needed. The rest of the guys, Patrick Roberts, Fabian Delph, uh, now Kevin De Bruyne, Odomendi, were guys that were bought at the, at the executive level. But Sterling was the guy Pellegrini wanted, the guy Pellegrini felt like he needed, and now we're seeing why. Well, let's talk about that because Manchester City was very impressive throughout the match today, but they got more impressive at the point when Sterling gets shifted from the left into the middle. Now, coming into this season, Kartik, I thought this is where he was going to play. I thought he was going to play off of Sergio Aguero. You have those two very quick, very skilled players able to target weaknesses in opposing defenses. 
obviously playing on the left has been very good. But watching this weekend, it just makes me realize that City, as good as they have been, just have this whole new level that they can achieve when they really start using these weapons that they've accumulated more efficiently. Right, yeah, and I think that was always the intention with Sterling. Uh, Sterling, uh, part of Pellegrini's fascination with Sterling, I, I have to uh, I have to give this uh, caveat, was because he had, for whatever reason, he he, uh, he he had phenomenal games against Manchester City. Maybe not the he didn't have, maybe he didn't have those kinds of games against Chelsea or Manchester United or Arsenal, mm-hmm. but he was phenomenal every single all four times Liverpool played. Manchester City since Pellegrini's been the manager, even though Manchester City won two of those games. Uh, he was uh, the best player for Liverpool, better than Suarez, in, uh, in the game uh, at Anfield in, in, in April of 2014. And he was uh, by far the best player on the pitch for either team in the game in March of 2015, even though I, I heard from Liverpool supporters how bad Sterling was last season. The game I saw <laughs> him against City towards the end of last season, when they beat us, he was very, very good. So that was part of the fascination. And those games... He was he was cutting inside. Remember, I mean, they had uh, Sturridge and Suarez um, in, the, in 2014 up top. Mm-hmm. He was coming from uh, he was coming from uh, wide areas. The 2015 March game, he was playing centrally because they didn't have a, a recognized striker in that team. And uh, both both ways, he, he skinned Manchester City. He was phenomenal in in in, in all those games, as I mentioned. So uh, Pellegrini felt like. He could play him centrally or play him out wide. Now, he started him out wide in, in, in this team, linking up with Kolarov, uh, giving uh, Silva the ability to push inside and have more space and time on the ball. That wasn't working in the first half of this game, so he made the switch, brought Nasri in, played Nasri on the, uh, on the right, uh, Silva on the left, and, uh, and Sterling down the middle. Now, this is another reason why Manchester City only have two senior strikers on the team. The, the, the third striker actually is uh, uh, 18-year-old Kalechi Hinaccio because there is going to be a lot of times when, it, let's say Aguero is hurt because he gets hurt often, as we know, Richard. There are going to be mm-hmm. a lot of times where Manchester City do not play with a recognized striker. They're going to play with Sterling up the middle. And you saw uh, how, that, how that can work out in those first 90, 90 seconds of the uh, second half yesterday. So all this flexibility ties us back into something we already talked about. Manuel Pellegrini. Uh, obviously, it's looking like a m- cliche here, master stroke to keep him around. But as you know, and I, I think you feel the same way, I, I've i always felt, felt Manuel Pellegrini was unfairly criticized for his lack of trophies before um, arriving in Manchester City. He obviously won trophies in South America, but he was with a Villarreal team in Spain that actually had overachieved. He he got Real Madrid to their best record ever the year he was there. He just happened to coincide with Pep Guardiola's arrival at Barcelona. And then at, at Malaga, he took a sinking ship and actually got it to within seconds of advancing past Borussia Dortmund in Champions League. I really hope that what we're seeing now, be it with the actual results at Manchester City, which I don't think he's gotten enough credit for because the two titles that they have won, I think one has looked as a United collapse and the other one has looked at maybe City could have won that more convincingly. Um, And Liverpool had to give it up late in that season too. But maybe now that we've seen him survive last season, that we're seeing him making these choices and we see him making the same tweaks that he did at other places, but it's in a more high-profile place now. Maybe now Manuel Pellegrini will get the respect he deserves. Right, and let's not forget at Madrid, uh, he ran afoul of Florentino Perez. You know how that goes at that club. And he so does Iker Casillas. West- right. <laughs> now Iker Casillas knows. You don't want to, uh, he didn't want to sell Wesley Schneider. He didn't want to sell Arjen Robin. Uh, and these, these turned out to be 
um, kind of prophetic uh, th- thoughts on his part because I, I think particularly Schneider uh, selling Schneider was a uh, was was a mistake uh, and and uh, Madrid paid for it for for a few seasons and um, and of course Mourinho took took him and won the Champions League with Inter that season mm-hmm. so he ran a foul with Florentino Perez in his very first transfer window his first summer with Real Madrid they they, they get a record points haul and then he's uh, he, he's uh, sacked and then. What happened when he came to Manchester City was Roberto Mancini is a very quotable manager. He's a very he's kind of like a, a, a Mourinho light in, in the way he he, he winds, winds people up. Uh, Marie, uh, Mancini plays the same mind games as Mourinho, maybe not as annoyingly, but Richard, I think you know he's got the same kind of qualities in him. So uh, he had become a favorite of, of the English press. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, and and he was very quotable. I mean, he would even say things like, "Well." I, uh, why are you playing Milner ahead of Nasri? Oh, because I want to beat Nasri up. I mean, it would be the kind of response he gives because he's not. Uh, and he would say things that were quotable. And then Pellegrini comes in, this very kind of dry, professorial uh, manager, which is the direct contrast to Mancini's style, which is what um, Manchester City needed because the club had become this kind of high drama uh, locale with people like Balotelli, Tevez. Uh, Mancini as, 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 the, as the leader, which kind of makes the inmates run the asylum. Mancini would be very openly criticizing um, the, the, the club and the press saying, well, I, I wanted to buy Robin Van Persie. I, hmm. I, they, they didn't buy Robin Van Persie for me. I, 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 uh, I wanted to buy this one. I wanted to buy that one. I, I wouldn't have sold Nigel de Jong. I, I, you know, th- th- these sorts of things that, um, that he would do in the media, which would endear him to, uh, to the media and to a certain degree, a certain amount of the fan base. But so the idea was the team had to cut that drama and have a settled situation with the manager and Pellegrini won the league in his first season. Uh, but, and the football was, was brilliant to watch, but I think what we have, Richard, and this goes back to something we've talked about for years, there are certain narratives that develop in the English press. And so Pellegrini was a guy that was successful at Malaga and Villarreal. These are seen as second-tier clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, he took a job from a guy that had won the league and had won the league in Italy and was a high, high-level player that everybody remembers. Uh, they don't remember Pellegrini as a player. They remember Mancini as a player very well, the English mm-hmm. media. So, um, and then he's dry in his press conferences. He never criticizes players. He wouldn't even criticize Joe Hart when Joe Hart had his terrible run of games. Yeah. Uh, and he, he manages things internally behind closed doors, unlike Mancini. And it seems like 75% of the managers in English football now who criticize their players in the media. So um, this narrative had developed that the second there'd be trouble, he'd be sacked. We were hearing he'd be sacked during the season, which he won the title. We were hearing every day last season, he was going to get sacked. I don't think quite frankly, just knowing the club the way I do and knowing the harmony at the club, I don't think there's ever been a serious consideration of sacking. Mm -hmm. I think the general sense is that, He's the guy who can who can play football at a high uh, level, and for a club that's trying to climb the ranks of um, of, of top teams in Europe, mm-hmm. that he's the ki- type of manager who doesn't bring the baggage of the other managers. Maybe Ancelotti would be the only guy that's a, that's like yeah. what you consider a high level club manager. He doesn't bring the baggage those other guys bring. Mourinho brings baggage. Mancini brings baggage. Van Hall brings baggage. Pep brings baggage. They all bring baggage that Pellegrini doesn't have. And Pellegrini is, 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 
the teams always play good football regardless of the results are, are going their way. Well, next season, when next season starts and Pellegrini's on the sidelines at the Etihad and Guardiola is on the sidelines at uh, Old Trafford, we'll know how this all played out. <laughs> uh, speaking of sagas, Kevin De Bruyne, he has been in focus for the last three or four days after it became clear that only the crossing of the T's and dotting of the I's prevented him from going from Manchester City. He was in Manchester this weekend after being at Wolfsburg's match on Friday. Uh, Kartik, we've talked about De Bruyne, Bruyne a little bit. If we haven't talked about it, other people have. There's one aspect of this that I really want to talk about, and it's the idea that Manchester City is so overpaying for De Bruyne. And to a certain extent, I think that's true, but no more so than we see other teams overpaying just in this heightened transfer market, particularly considering the money that's coming into these clubs. But rather than looking at this as City paying so much for one of the best attacking midfielders in the world, I look at this more, how did Chelsea not get more for this guy a year and a half ago? Well, Mourinho wanted to dump him. He hadn't, uh, he hadn't proven his value at, uh, at Stamford Bridge because Mourinho didn't like the player. Yeah, but he had proven his value at Werder Bremen on loan. Right, yeah. It, 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 it's it's kind of stunning, although I guess Chelsea has done good business. This is their FFP model where they buy mm-hmm. players and then they flip them within two years. Sherla, yeah. Louise, uh, 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 De Bruyne, uh, uh, Juan Mata. They, they, there's, just a, there's a succession of these types of players that they uh, that they flip and they sell quickly. Which or even is players, different. even players that never really factor into the, into the first team, like a Patrick Van Aanholt now at Sunderland, yeah. a Ryan Bertrand who played so well uh, last year um, in his first year away from the club. Yeah, so, I mean th- they have their core players, this tight squad that Mourinho wants, and they have tons of p- players on loan as if they were an Italian team that never are going to factor into the future of this club. Right, they've got about thirty guys on loan, and even guys like uh, Josh McEachern, who I believe they've sold now, and 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 Bamford, and and you know, we even saw it with it's the beginnings of it with Barini and, and Scott Sinclair and and uh, mm-hmm. Manchian and all these guys that came through their academy that they loaned out. Manchester City has kind of a different philosophy. We now see Silva's in his sixth season with the club. We see Kolarov's in his sixth season with the club. Nasri Aguero fifth season with the club. Companies Abaleta been around seven eight years. Uh, there, there's. Uh, there was a feeling with with City that uh, that without the the kind of historical background and historical pedigree of the uh, uh, of the Uniteds and, and and the Liverpools and, and the Bayerns and and the, and, and the Juventuses et cetera, Real Barcelona that you have to keep some sort of core continuity to the squad. That that also goes back to the whole Pellegrini thing. So uh, that's why you see there's never been a serious thought about selling David Silva. Uh, mm. it, I don't think people thought he'd be at Manchester City for six seasons. They assumed he'd be, he'd be off to Real Madrid or Barcelona after a year or two. Oh, and uh, Yaya Torre's in a sixth season with the club also. He was a guy that moved from club to club to club mm. prior to coming to City. Um, with De Bruyne, here, here, here's one I'm hearing, Richard. I'm going to break a little bit of news here. Although I think it's probably been talked about in England. There's a um, there, uh, there's source that tells me that uh, 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 there's a Bit of a fear. That, yes, Manchester City is overpaying for him. Let's establish that. And and his value. I think the Sterling Sterling transfer of forty four million versus this of fifty fifty four fifty five. I mean, I think the Sterling is is better value just based on the fact that he's English. He's younger. Although De Bruyne is pretty young too. Uh, but there is a, a there is a buyback clause apparently, reportedly in for Chelsea in De Bruyne's uh, in his initial hmm. sale to Wolfsburg, and. The thinking is Jose Mourinho is not long for the world at Stamford Bridge. That's that's the, that's kind of developed 
in the in the city boardroom. They're thinking once Mourinho is gone, whoever the next manager is, let's say a Carlo Ancelotti goes back to Chelsea, he'll buy the guy back. I mean, whoever they hire probably hmm. would. I mean, if if uh, AVB somehow patched things up with Abramovich and he left Zenit and he went back to Chelsea, he'd buy the guy back. I mean, any manager hmm. you name would probably buy the guy back hmm. at this point at a reduced rate. It's similar to the deal that uh, that Arsenal had in the Fabregas uh, contract. Uh, Wenger chose not to exercise it, and uh, he was sold to Chelsea. Uh, Wenger may, may end up looking better for that this season, the way things are going. But yeah, so uh, that's that's apparently the consideration. So overpay for him Oof. now, but keep him away from Chelsea later. Oof. Mourinho, maybe days numbered at Stamford Bridge. Sounds like something Lawrence and I can talk about in the upcoming seconds. Kartik, we're going to bring you back at the end of the show so we can talk a little bit about the transfer window. Maybe we'll talk about the international break a little bit. We won't lament an international break coming up. We'll talk about some of the matches maybe. But uh, City, again, riding high on top of the league after this week's results. Eight games on Saturday began with Arsenal using an own goal from Fabrizio Colaccini to get by a 10-man Newcastle 1-0. As to Villa and Sunderland in perhaps the season's first six-pointer ended 2-2 at Villa Park. Likewise, Bournemouth and Leicester ended up even 1-1. Perhaps the upset of the weekend, one we'll focus on a little bit more next segment, saw Crystal Palace continue Chelsea's woes with a 2-1 win at Stamford Bridge. West Ham, also on the right side of an upset, took a 3-0 win out of Anfield. Manchester City beat Watford 2-0. West Brom down a 9-man Stoke City 1-0 while Spurs and Everton played to type and played to a 0-0 draw. On Sunday, Southampton took advantage of an early Stephen Whitaker dismissal to take a 3-0 win over visiting Norwich, while Swansea closed the weekend's action with a 2-1 victory over Manchester United. At the top of the league, Manchester City, still perfect through four, have a three-point lead over, surprise, Crystal Palace. Leicester and Swansea are next with eight, while Manchester United, Arsenal, and Liverpool all have seven points. When we come back, Lawrence McKenna and Long Distance Telephony will join me to start talking about the rest of this week's action. But first, let's get a word in from our sponsors. Already, we're one month into the new season, and the Premier League is living up to expectations. But to keep that excitement going, I want to invite you to check out Rabble.tv for a new type of TV experience. Rabble.tv is a place to listen to live match commentaries from real fans while games are being played, and the way it works is simple. All you have to do is tune into your game, but press the mute button. Then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to soccer fans providing their own calls. Or better yet, you can create your own broadcast and call one of your team's games just by signing up for free and switching on your mic. With Rabble, you can listen to a broadcast on your desktop or on your iOS app or through your mobile browser. So sign up today at Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Well, joining us now is Lawrence McKenna. A little different show today, breaking things up, Lawrence. How do you like this? You and me, just two people, pilot, co-pilot. You want a pilot or am I in the passenger seat on this I'm, ha- I'm happy to sit along. I, I like the idea that I'm just here for the, the kicks. And Kartik was great. Kartik so. is always great. But and part of the virtue of breaking it up like this, we get the person who knows City most really concentrating on them. And now we can talk about an area of uh, expertise of yours. You've made it no secret that you follow Crystal Palace quite closely and quite the weekend for Palace. Yeah, we love you, Palace. Super Palace. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's preseason i think a lot of people were wondering how they would do um especially when it came down to the management of Pardew and the way that mm-hmm. he was gonna bring this team forward um and i think everyone looked at the uh, the sides that he was really going to try and build on and that was the the, the midfield shape and everything around that 
But then there were some almost unexpected signings in there, Connor Wickham being one of them, yeah, who led the line for Palace. Um, and then also the fact that, you know, basically they have a goalkeeper in there who, who you know, is not Spironi that's been there for seasons. Um, but in front of that, they have a very experienced back two who seem mm-hmm. to be given the... T- and Joel Ward, obviously, who scored a great goal yesterday, who's giving them a real stability. And he's got a good balance there right now. But, I mean, we've mentioned this week after week. It's the balance that maybe gives them that surprise factor. Yeah, and the balance is very interesting to me because I thought the benching of Miljednek was not a great move, but it's actually yeah. turned out fine. And the depth that he has brought in on the wings, obviously getting Kabaye in, even Alex McCarthy in goal, you, you mentioned that Speroni hasn't been there. I don't think McCarthy's been great, but they've obviously been able to weather that storm because they have this kind of... I mean, this goes back to a Pardew trope, and you mentioned it when we were talking before the show about Pardew beating Mourinho three times. It's, he's the yeah. only manager to do that in the league. Maybe this is a case where that smugness and arrogance that we hear about with Alan Pardew actually helps. He gives the team that confidence to think they actually can go into Stamford Bridge and play well and get three points. That's part of it. I, I, we should also put Jason Punchin's name on that uh, list as well, just as uh, great players who are doing well. Especially, I think he's certainly had his position enhanced by having Kabaye in the side as well. Um, and I think most people thought that. But that, that, I guess that's kind of the worry. And I think I've spoken about this enough about the intangibles of what Pardew brings to a side mm-hmm. and igniting the egos around him. And I think that's um, a real part of this team is that he's, uh, and to some extent Brendan Rodgers does the same, that he sort of gets people fired up in a way which uh, sometimes you worry how long-term it's going to last. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's, I guess, the worry for the, the Palace fans and why they're almost not taking it for granted at this stage that they're going to continue this vein of form. Because, I mean, it's a great win against Chelsea. Um, I mean, especially at Stamford Bridge. But if you look at the way that Chelsea at times looked p- pretty poor um, and the, the way that they, uh, th- they could have made more of their chances... I think Palace fans are just very aware of the flip-flop nature of what's going on at their club right now, despite the fact that they seem to have been building over a long time. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week. These shows kind of blend together a little bit. But we talked Mm -hmm. about eventually Pardew might face some burnout. And some of the personnel turnover that Crystal Palace is going through as they try to aspire higher in the table really helps that because you get some new ears in there to listen to him. Uh, It does create a nice segue into Chelsea. Because Chelsea, obviously, by their standards, this is a poor start. Uh, particularly given City is perfect through their first four rounds of games. And you do mm-hmm. wonder, with Jose Mourinho continuously at this point, because he did it after the game on Saturday, pointing to players and saying, we can, we need to get more out of these players, you, you wonder if he's engaging in this gambit where he's either going to ignite their pride and get better performances out of them, or he's going to burn some bridges. You sort of wonder what what other, what other options they have, really. Um, yeah, there's uh, this season's the first season. Uh, this this weekend's the first weekend when the name Klopp has popped up again, and you do sort of wonder what Klopp could do with this side. It does seem quite exciting if you wonder. Um, but uh, I mean, Chelsea have also started pretty poorly. Uh, you know, the fact is that I think Opta Joe said the other day this is the second lowest points tally um, of any champion, reigning champion in a season. They've only got four, obviously, from four, and it's. It's that poor start that I think a lot of people are focusing on. And I mean, other people over the weekend were tweeting, you know, how long will Brendan Rodgers last? But there's a real long-term trend of Chelsea getting rid of people. And I'm wondering, you know, if Mourinho, like you say, doesn't manage to reignite, does that mean he's gone? I'm not asking that to be 
No, I think sensational. It's, I, think I, it's a genuine I don't think question. you're being sensational. I think it is a genuine question because it's not a question, as with Liverpool, whether somebody is getting the most out of the talent. I think there is a legitimate question as to the talent at Liverpool. Where would they rank in the league? Are they a legitimate top four team on talent? And if you don't think they are, then where Rodgers has placed the team, you know, particularly two years ago, is actually quite good. And I don't think there's any question as to what Chelsea's talent level is. And so if you're a team that not only aspires to win the league, but to do well in Champions League, and you can still salvage that season by letting an admittedly great coach go, but just getting a new voice in come January or February... We've seen it before with Chelsea, just the change in voice before helped them win a European title that they hadn't won before. And I don't even think it's any discredit to Mourinho if that happens. We just know, like you mentioned with Jurgen Klopp, sometimes you just need a change of voice. And you see how well Borussia Dortmund is doing in the Bundesliga this year. I don't think that makes Jurgen Klopp any less of a coach. I think that just reinforces the reality of the position. I think, um, yeah, what you're saying is interesting there, because especially with Dortmund, you'd say there's an interesting um, system that he's built in in terms of that does still seem like a very Klopp-esque system. Mm -hmm. Um, And in many ways... um, Tunchul has basically said, "No, it's you know, it's not me." But you don't know how um, how much of that is just him being modest. Yeah, it's got to be a little him at least, right? Well, I mean, but I guess what he's saying is, you know, it's not it's not him completely rebuilding; it's him evolving, and that's where we see uh, maybe some of the virtues of the teams of Swansea this season. Mm -hmm. And I know, I know their results uh, against Manchester United is obviously very interesting. But then you also think, I mean, that that sort of quality. How much of it is, uh, maybe we don't need to get into this conversation now, but it's certainly worth almost touching upon. Look at Sterling at City. Mm-hmm. I know Kartik's probably already spoken about that. And the difference in his confidence and the difference in his movement and the fact that they played him through the centre and the fact that they put all of that, uh, the emphasis on him in the second half and how much that changed his performance. And you do the same with Chelsea and you sort of say, there were so many ghosts of Mourinho down the however many years he was gone. Yeah. It was still essentially a Mourinho team that won all those things. Yeah. Um, but it, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Is like, what does that even mean? And are we ascribing that, or is that something that's very real? Well, I think it, I think if we want to play this out, I think what it means is sometimes a manager can instill an ethos that survives him, and sometimes people just need to hear another voice, whether it's just because they need to hear another note or another note that augments it. Um, and Chelsea, you know, based on these first four results is going in that direction. I share your reticence to dive into this topic because it has only been four results. Five if you want to count the Community Shield. If you really want to be pessimistic, it's a couple months worth of results if you go back to preseason. But I think we need to really not be too serious about this conversation until a couple more months go by. And if it's still lackluster come November, well, given the way that City is going, Chelsea will have probably given up too many points to compete at the top of the league without a a Liverpool-esque run from a couple years ago. And we, we probably will be in a situation where Chelsea is really battling for uh, fourth and fifth, as they did a couple years ago when they uh, moved away from VH Boas. So at that point, we might want to consider this conversation a little bit more seriously. I think the one Why thing. Why do they that, look so tired, though? I think maybe they just look a little older. I, obviously, that's how chronology works that, you know, every year you get a bit older. But it's, I think it's more than just looking tired. What I saw in the Crystal Palace game was just another team, an unremarkable team, a good team, 
But just player for player, there was a sense that they could actually match up with this team, which player for player last year, when you saw how Costa and Hazard and Fabregas were playing, were player for player better than most teams. And I just didn't get that feeling today. On Crystal Palace's goals, they actually just out-executed Chelsea. And I think you can make a reasonable case that when John Terry comes back, maybe this break will help him, that the leadership to prevent those goals will be there. But it's still very worrisome that player for player, almost every player, Chelsea just looks so ordinary. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting. So, uh, yeah, when you match people up player to player, that that is interesting. But also, I just uh, it's also that Palace almost had nothing to lose with this one. Yeah, um, and there have been a couple of results like that this weekend. That's true. Well, let's talk about another one of those results potentially. Although we've been so complimentary of Swansea that I don't think either of us were really surprised that Manchester United or any team would go down to Liberty Stadium Stadium and not get uh, points. I. I look at this game, and it's for the troubles that Manchester United had, and we'll talk about those in a second. I look at this game as more of a proof of concept for Swansea and a proof of concept for Gary Monk, who made that change in the second half, changed formations, went very narrow, and almost kind of caught United uh, taking advantage of their lack of width a little bit too much on that first goal. I just look at this as proof that Swansea, especially when we see the form of Chelsea and United and Arsenal this year, has a real chance to do something special this year. Mm, yeah, I, I agree. But what, what, do you, what do you mean by special? Do you mean finish eighth? No. Or do you I, mean finish higher than that? No, I mean to have a season like um, Southampton had last year. And of course, Southampton didn't end up making the top four, but they were in position to make the top four very deep into the season. And I think Swansea probably has a very similar problem as they don't have the depth to weather the storms that the season is going to um, give them. But they also may have the virtue of... Manchester City being the only team that might distance itself from the pack. And in that sense, if they can keep up and then get some fortune, maybe they might be less Southampton from last year and a little bit more Liverpool from two years before. Maybe not make a title challenge, but be that surprise team that can grab a Champions League spot. Well, there's also something that seems quite new yet old about this storyline, doesn't there? I think um, a lot of people I'm speaking to is... Sorry for going back to storyline. A lot of people I'm speaking to are talking about the TV money and how they're seeing that have an effect now and i mean that's certainly the case when it comes to say well i mean look at iu coming in look at gomis coming in and maybe a few years ago you would have said yep they have the south swansea have the potential to attract those kind of players now there's a lot more teams who have the potential in the premier league to attract those kind of players what i'm wondering is how sustainable that is when people begin to say well hold on a minute there are so this team this league is almost too competitive that we're not going to get a chance to break into the top four so you sort of, I think the aims of teams cha- almost change at that point. Maybe. I, I think you can make a double argument case there too because Swansea less than, uh, less than nine months ago lost their best player to Manchester City. And you can say that the TV money disproportionately helps the teams higher in the table because they obviously finish higher in the league. They also get Champions League money, etc. So, so Manchester City was able to take Wilfried Boney and just stick him on the bench. And they also lost Sigurdsson to Spurs. And thankfully for them, it didn't work out at Spurs. He ends up coming back. They have to rely on players like John Joe Shelby, who's been a very good player for them. And they've mm-hmm. had to rely on players like Key not making it a Sunderland and, mo- and moving on. Uh, I think I think it's too easy to say that the TV money has that much of an effect because everybody gets the TV money. So relatively, it's yeah. But but what, I'm I'm not saying it's necessarily. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm not saying it's weighting it towards those teams. What I'm saying is we're seeing that effect, and that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's making it biased towards them. It's just that it's having a positive. Yeah, maybe it, it helps continuity. 
But the, the problem being is that when we analyze, like it's it's almost the same as the internet. Um, mm-hmm. Is that people say the internet makes everything democratic? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Like it, it makes it makes it gives access to more people, but it still keeps certain people on the fringes. Mm-hmm. And the problem being when we so what we're saying is Premier League money makes everything more democratic. Uh, parentheses or whatever you want to put within the Premier League. Yeah. And, but, we're seeing teams now in Liga having their best players taken. We're seeing players in the Eredivisie having some of their best players taken. Mm-hmm. We're seeing them come to the Premier League, play their trade very well so far. Well, it's not just that. Think- like we're seeing almost every team except for the top three in Spain having their best players taken. Same thing with Italy. Players like um, maybe Spain. Maybe Spain's a little bit. I think Spain's slightly thicker because actually, yes. you know, you look at Valencia and um, well, even are you talking about Sevilla as well? Yeah, those teams have had to have had their players poached by Premier league teams and sure. it's going to continue to happen and maybe valencia is an evolving case but even in italy too if you're not juventus you're probably not holding on to your players when a premier league challenge comes for them but that's what i found interesting as well is that actually there was a really interesting comment last week from um who's the uh, who's the man city legend i always have trouble remembering his name excuse me i've just remember i've not remember it's basically it was a man city legend that was saying liverpool were naive to offer um, to offer Raheem Sterling a lower contract. He was like, money talks, and that's the way it is in the game now. And to some extent, I think he's right. But I do think there's an incredible bubble of analysis in the Premier League, which a lot of people fall into or get become part of. And they basically think that's all that matters. Yeah. But we forget that Vidal went to Bayern Munich mm-hmm. and earns less than half of what Sterling's on. Mm-hmm. And you'd argue he's just as much of a player. Oh, yeah, um, definitely if not more at this stage right, and he's right. in a different stage of his career so I'm, I'm not comparing them but what i'm saying is it's not all about the money for it, some people and i think swansea and, does prove that point too like the quality exactly. the quality exactly. of their club is what makes players like ryan bertrand and kyle Naughton end up there on loan and eventually bertrand's been signed permanently somebody like a Lupe, lucas fabianski when he doesn't break into the number one shirt at arsenal yeah. he ends up there and people like ashley williams end up sticking around and they're able to withhold um, withstand the challenge for players like those and obviously that's a unique case but the quality of that team that play out yeah, we'll see that play out. That that will that will over almost overextend itself over time. And I think you know Wenger's been very public this week about his comments again about financial fair play. And I think um, you know a lot of the players' associations are, are worried about the way that financial fair play is just affecting things in general. I think behind the scenes there's a lot of sort of political posturing between people. But the fact is that while we're all politically posturing and we're all making our own narratives, there are other things playing out that maybe we aren't predicting. And at the moment. Part of that for me is looking at the way that players are moving and saying, how long will they be satisfied in this place? And how, when, you know, basically when the Premier League almost overextends itself, does that lead to a, a natural thickening within Europe where players then begin to go, you know what, I'm, there's money here, but I'm not going to win anything. I'll go to mm-hmm. Italy and try and win something there. I'll go to Germany and try and win something there. Well, we, we talked about it, I think, last week or a couple of weeks ago. Whenever people talk about money, it's always very naive. And part of that naivete <laughs> is talking as if every player has the same motivations. And so exactly. some, some players yeah. will cash in, some players will stay close to home, et cetera, et cetera. Let's talk about the, Manchester the lucky United. lucky ones do both. <laughs> yes, yes. Like Ashley, maybe Ashley Williams in the long run. Um, let's talk about Manchester United. Let's not uh, dive into the same tropes. As you pointed out last week uh, with Manchester United, everything kind of sounds the same at this point. I want to focus on very specific players. Uh, let's move from the back forward. Am I wrong to think Davi De Gea makes those saves on Sunday? Um, I think 
I think we don't know because he wasn't on the pitch. <laughs> awesome um, point. Very good I think point. You're wrong to fall into the, I think you're wrong to fall into the Twitter trap there, Morgan. Uh, but maybe, well, this, They were um, talking about this on Twitter? Uh, only everyone and their girlfriend was talking about it. I have it. not checked Twitter since last night when I went out and played pinball. If you want pinball pictures, check my Twitter. What a wizard. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, you know what? It's one of those things where would other have chances have gone in? You might as well. You might, you know, it's like saying, oh, if Wayne Rooney wasn't up front, United would have scored more goals. Doesn't mean well, anything. I, I think it does mean something, especially when we're approaching the end of a transfer window where a team with United's resources can go out and get players to replace those. And maybe it is a fallacy to compare one to one because if you think De Gea is gone, then it's not worth making a comparison. The comparison should be. Is Sergio Romero better than a goalkeeper that uh, Manchester United can get before the end of the window? And would that goalkeeper have made those saves today? Well, maybe what you were saying earlier then applies. We're we're bringing in some really broad umbrellas and just trying to crash them all together. But um, it's, uh, you know, you were saying for Chelsea and getting the best out of people and, you know, how they compare man for man, those kind of things. For United, it's all about the system they're playing right now, and that seems to that each player isn't fitting in very well to that. I, you know, I don't even think we should be asking questions about Mario. I think we should be talking about the back four and um, the fact that Damian looks like the best player within that. Blint and Smalling were their centre back pairing. They haven't managed again to make a signing, and City have signed Otamendi. Well, that's that is a good point. I don't I don't have very many problems with their back four. They did kind of, I don't want to say collapse, but they could have been better on the two goals today, but this is really the first dent in the armor that we've seen from them. I want to take a longer view of them, but I do want to focus on two players that we have kind of seen a longer view on, and we have been asking questions of throughout this whole time. Uh, let's skip the obvious one for a couple minutes. I want to focus on Memphis because... See you later, like, Wayne. Yeah, like, like his other goal-scoring um, player up front, Memphis has really had one good game, and the thing that annoys me about Memphis is so many times he seems to give the ball away at the edge of the final third, trying mm-hmm. to make a pass that just isn't there. The lack of patience, the directness, he seems to still think he's playing as Eredivisie defenders. Yes, good point, although maybe he's been encouraged to do so. But perhaps. Um, and I, I think he was brought in for that exact reason. I, you've got to congratulate his less, less shot-taking, first of all. Um, and then you also have to say, uh, how much is that having a wider effect on those players that they're just constantly being battered against? Um and, you know, does that change the movement of the rest of the team? Mm-hmm. Just because he's not having a direct influence doesn't... I think, you know, Van Gaal sees things very meta and overall. And I think he's looking for that from Dubai. That he just wants to exhaust the other side with him. Yeah, and I think you also need to take the long, route, the long uh, view with Memphis because... You have to recognize that he is used to playing as Eredivisie defenders. He is used to playing against European qualifying level defenders, and it's going to take some time, and you just have to play this out. Uh, you can't make the same excuses for Wayne Rooney. Great game midweek, finished all of his chances, finished them very well in Belgium, and today he was just back to the Wayne Rooney we had seen for the previous month. Yes, yeah, weird. There's, a very, there's almost a duality to it. The Champions League Manchester United, and then the Manchester United that we see uh, in the Premier League, and it's a strange one because Rooney looks very different between the two. He looks not as forward-thinking when he's in the Premier League, which is strange again because you must think, well, if United had played the way they did against Bruges, against Swansea, then this wouldn't be the same result. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's that's the confusing part, isn't it, is why are they not doing that? Yeah, and I think that's something that Louis Van Hall and his staff, I'm sure, are spending a lot of time figuring out. Uh, the other game I want to talk about in this segment probably won't take very long – Newcastle, Arsenal, really early red card to Alexander Mitrovic. Arsenal own goal in the second half. Newcastle ends up picking up seven cards in this game. Um, how how we, should we judge this game, Lawrence? I think I'm 
I'm beyond judging this game. It was so weird. Uh, yeah, because every week Newcastle seems to do something wrong and people still seem to say, um, you know what, they weren't half bad. Um, and it only really seems to be their opposition that are upset. Weird tactics from Steve McLaren, though. You can kind of see what he's trying to do there. Do you know what I mean? There's like yeah. a weird... McLaren seems or to be doing his job. feeding into the old trope that you could just push Arsenal around, only going to the extreme of it, and his team picking up so many cards in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, I do. I, I feel Mitrovic will be will feel unlucky to be sent off. Oh, because well, th- I understand it was a stamp, but... Yeah, I, I have the same oh. reaction issue. Let's actually talk about that after the break. There were... Right as of right now, six red cards in the Premier League this weekend. Let's talk about that, and let's also talk about the rest of the games around the Premier League when we come back after this break. Welcome back to the show. Here again with Lawrence McKenna. Karta Krishnair is going to be joining us next segment, so we're going to have to wait a little bit to get his player of the week and his top fours, as we usually do at this point in the show. But, Lawrence, I'm going to go ahead and go first this week, and I'm going to go with Dusan Tadic. Uh, We'll talk about his performance in a bit. Two second-half goals against Norwich, albeit against 10 men. But part of the reason I selected him was midweek, in the face of decreased playing time under Ronald Koeman, uh, Dusan Tadic had some criticisms for the way that Saints have been playing right now. Uh, he walked He walked the walk this weekend, scoring twice within four minutes in uh, Southampton's 3 nothing victory. Uh, so I'm going to go with him. As far as the top fours, top four teams, Manchester City, I don't even know if, why we have to list it. Maybe just as a segue into the next three. The next three, I would have been shocked if this would have been my three uh, four weeks ago. But I have Swansea. I have Leicester based on their months of performance, not necessarily this weekend's performance. And Crystal Palace has done it for me. Crystal Palace did lose to Arsenal at home, so I did give that a little bit of consideration, but it was really hard to get too excited about Arsenal's performance this weekend, given the fact that they played most of that match against 10 men. Uh, As far as the end of the season, City, Chelsea, United, Arsenal would be my top four, but that two through four is just a big bunch at this point, and Swansea, Liverpool, Tottenham could all be in there too. Lawrence, your turn. Um, I'm going to agree with City. I think City sit top there because... I mean, frankly, they almost look casual at times. Um, it was it was so domineering, just like it was just so controlling throughout, casually controlling. I'm still excited to see them in the Champions League. See if they have to up that pace a little bit, and if they do try up that pace, then where they go with that from? Um, can I name my player of the week? You absolutely can. Um, that would be very relevant in Sterling, and I think he. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing the way they play him in the Champions League, um, and how they deploy him. It was great at halftime. I think everyone in their analysis has picked out the fact that he was then deployed centrally. I liked him just behind the striker. I think he thrives in terms of being the focus a lot of the team's play. His movement was fantastic. You could see how quickly he was willing to... He he went offside, came back onside, went offside, came back onside, and he was willing to keep going back and back. And there's a different kind of work ethic there. Something I think you alluded to earlier, especially at Liverpool, is are you getting the best out of the players? And I think that's the worry, is that when you look at the contrast between the way that Sterling as an individual is playing now he's at City and the way the Liverpool team played this weekend and other weeks, that there almost seems a different kind of confidence that maybe because Liverpool don't have that quality of player around them, they don't quite mm-hmm. know where to go with that. And I think, you know, if, if anyone's missed that, it's Liverpool missing Suarez. Not even necessarily his presence on the pitch, but just the belief maybe that he gives the other players. Not even yeah. in the sense that it's like, I'm playing alongside him. It's that, well, if he can do that, I'm going to try something as well. 
Yeah. Maybe maybe in time, Benteke will inspire that same confidence or a different kind of confidence where I can do X, Y, and Z, and if it doesn't work out, I know that he's going to be on the end of this ball that I'm going to play now. Well, it's, well, well I mean, we can certainly cover Liverpool at some point, um, Sturridge being one of the main notes there, but Sterling this weekend and the fact that he was deployed centrally in the second half, the fact that they moved mm. Silver out onto the wing, and what, what it did, instead of... Yeah. Sorry, just, just, just finish up on that. Sorry, um, basically, instead of... Um, Instead of changing the focus, it spread mm-hmm. it. So it spread right. their dominance out on the pitch. They were going from the central dominance to just being dominant. I know, I know, again, it's against the team that are lower down in the table and we expect to be lower in the table. But instead of it going from, mm-hmm. right, now the focus is sterling, it was suddenly, wait a minute, now we can go here, here, and here. Yeah, it, it was against a team lower down, but it was also a team that hadn't lost yet this year. So uh, let's not be too disparaging of Watford. Uh, where Sterling was deployed, I thought that they were going to deploy him like that after they signed him. And it's, he's obviously worked out left, but that versatility and the versatility that they're going to have with De Bruyne coming into is very uh, exciting if you like to see teams reach their potential and the potential for the City team. Maybe we haven't seen it yet. Um, your top four right now, Lawrence, on form. Yeah, I'm going to go Palace. Uh, in second place to that City side who sit top right now. Um, I'm certainly interested... Can we go Leicester again? Is that too cliched? Well, it, nobody's stepping up to take it from them. You know what? I, I really want to go with Arsenal because actually um, we didn't get to analyse Arsenal. You. We didn't get to ask, uh, analyse Arsenal last week against Liverpool. They certainly didn't dominate the game, oh, yeah. but losing those two centre-backs just before the match, I think, um, is mm-hmm. a big part of it. And that probably went underrepresented they scored a legitimate goal that then was chalked off yeah yeah that ramsey goal should have counted we should have a midweek show where we can talk about this stuff and preview the oh, weekend please richard um and then i think <laughs> that the, the so i'm gonna put arsenal in third there um don't get people excited um and then you know I got what myself excited J- just for the for the uh, for the sheer surprise factor i'm gonna go with west ham this week just because i want to talk about them <sighs> a little bit more i i <sighs> like what Billich says sometimes sometimes I hate what Billich says um but I also like what he was saying this weekend um I like the way he, he chose to motivate his team I what I also love is that within this West Ham side I imagine people reading that and thinking okay great we've got a real chance in this game mm-hmm. Arsenal thought that Liverpool thought that I imagine other teams thought that and proved themselves correct but the, it's almost like a litmus. I'm going to consider a West Ham a litmus test this season within the Premier League. And I think mm. for that reason, I'm putting them in fourth. Because if your team can play well against them and somehow work out what this Billich side is going to do, I think you have some sort of adaptability and longevity. And it almost huh. it almost says, you know what, we're not naive. We're not going to fall into that. Well, by that logic, I'm surprised Bournemouth wasn't in your top four. But uh, I think I think the the nugget there, I do actually agree with, where they're a team that you should beat if you play well, but they're going to make you play well. Uh, okay, your top four at the end of the season: City, Chelsea, United, Arsenal. Currently, over Liverpool because the mean of those two games. But yeah. you could even say then, I mean, you know, Arsenal were thrashed by West Ham in the beginning of the season as well. So I don't I don't quite know what that means. Does that work out overall? Even that, that means Liverpool and Arsenal have had pretty much exactly the same start to the season. I suppose so. I think we're also overthinking it too. I mean, four seems like an arbitrary number every weekend when we do this exercise. So uh, let's just let's just move on back to the actual games. We're going to push Liverpool, West Ham to the end of the segment so we have a little bit more time to talk about it. But uh, starting with Southampton, Norwich, it does feed into a theme of the week. Stephen Whitaker being the person in focus here. Two first half yellow cards. He was the sixth person this weekend to draw a red card and most of those red cards not necessarily Whitaker's second yellow 
were just browfaring, Lawrence. I I'm not sure that I agree with most of them. Yeah, I guess the the frustrating thing for those guys would be they've come so early on, or not. You, there's a lot of early red cards this weekend, yeah. and it's really influenced the game. Yeah, we had Mitrovic, as obviously we alluded to that earlier. Uh, I think that one was borderline. I wouldn't have given it. I don't think it's completely unjustifiable. Uh, Coutinho getting his two yellow cards very close together early in the second half against West Ham. I definitely would not have seen seen him off for that. And later in the game, I thought Mark Noble's uh, red card wasn't justified either. So, so what's the theory here? Do you think that everybody just got a memo, said start whistling things tighter, flash those cards a little bit earlier, let's get things back under control? Because I don't have the impression that things were out of control before. Yeah, I don't feel like it was crazy. I think there were a couple pull of challenges where you'd say you know what that guy even and no you think you know what I, it was just a weird weekend for cards like that the referees i mean from what we've seen and the mm. amount of um amount of cards that have been handed out it does look like there's been some sort of memo around right because otherwise you'd say, well it's awfully weird that all those referees in all the same games were giving those sorts of cards yeah, and we, like we mentioned before, we actually saw seven cards in the Newcastle game, although I think a number of those were actually justified. Uh, we don't need to get back into that. But Southampton, I think the red card situation really helped them. They needed something to get uh, the team clicking, to get them playing like they were last year, and this was a very last year result. Team lower in the table, they pile on some goals, they keep a clean sheet. Uh, I wonder if this is going to be a springboard to get that confidence back. Yeah, also great to see Tadic scoring the goals. Obviously, you picked him as your player but um, I, I think the, 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 you, you don't want to hear too much dissent at any club, um, mm. and especially not at Southampton, because, but I do think they're a club that deals very well with sort of dissent within the ranks. It does seem like maybe from the outside we see it as dissent or we see it as a problem, but actually there's a very sort of open culture, I think, um, sometimes. Uh, the other team, Norwich, second time this year they've given up three goals, but each time I feel like they were mitigating circumstances. In the first game against Palace, the 3-1 scoreline was a little bit flattering to Palace, and then here they had the early red card. Yeah, but there is only also so long that you can make um, keep making excuses for a side. Yeah, um, like we said last week, looking- sometimes you got to get three points. Uh, yeah, sometimes so, um, and I, it does seem like Norwich needs to start getting those kind of results, um, yeah. mainly because... You know, if they are only sitting on four at this point, that's the th- you know what the table really does mean nothing. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the, the you, you look at the way that they played, you look at some of the fixtures they've got coming up. You also consider that they're playing Bournemouth is immediately off the back of the international break. Mm-hmm. They have a good few days off now. The international break is going to be quite kind to them. Uh, they play Bournemouth, Liverpool away, West Brom at home, and then West Ham. Of those, you'd say West Ham is probably the most challenging. Of all the fixtures. Yeah, maybe. And the least winnable. Well, I think, like you said, we shouldn't look at the table right now. What we should be judging, particularly teams like Norwich, is their potential to avoid the drop. And Norwich definitely looks like a team that once things start clicking, they have the talent, they have the style to put together a run of results. So I'm not going to worry about them until until really late in the year. I mean, we have to get past the 10-game mark. And once we get through the first half of the schedule where everybody's played each other, we can start judging their chances a little more. But I'm really not worried about this. I mean, losing on the road to Southampton, I don't think that is a match Alex Neal thought at the beginning of the year he was going to get anything out of. Uh, Let's move on. Let's talk about Bournemouth. You mentioned them. Bournemouth 1-1, Leicester. I guess I can't read too much into this one. It looks like a result that both teams should be happy with. Bournemouth definitely at the point where points are points, uh, even though they did break through with their first victory not long ago. And Leicester still isn't so far beyond being happy with any result on the road. 
True. Um, I also do think, though, that Bournemouth will probably be the more happy of the two sides of this one. And I understand um, that they're probably going to be very close in the table uh, in terms of the way we see them at the beginning of the season. But mm. I, I think Leicester, it, Leicester will be upset because actually they have enforced themselves on quite a few sides this season so far. And they mm. were unable to do it in this game. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Um, and it, you know, it took a, a Jamie Vardy penalty in the end to bring them level. Yeah, I mean, they do have players like Vardy. We've talked about Riyad Mahrez a lot. Mark Albrechtin's playing very well for them, also. So maybe they can look player for player and see reasons well, why they should be getting more out of games like this. Vardy's been called up to the England squad, and I think that probably, you know, that that shows uh, the first of all how well he's been playing, but also considering there are so many other great young English talents right now, and who who Roy Hodgson could be calling on. Um, but also, you know, the the fact that he's being called up to England is fantastic. I think it, it shows how England are going to experiment during this international break. Spurs Everton nil nil at White Hart Lane. This was the late game on Saturday. This just seemed like kind of a predictable result. We haven't seen Tottenham's attack really firing. Uh, Christian Eriksen not being in there doesn't, or not being fully available doesn't help that. Uh, and Everton again, the, the questions persist. Maybe they're not as bad as people thought after their first match of the season, but. Uh, the signing of Leandro Rodriguez, getting Funes Mori in, uh, hopefully those will help. Yeah, you can probably take away the quality, uh, take take away some of the, the good qualities being they both kept a clean sheet. Trope, trope, trope. Um, yes. and, but you, you'd say also the weird shape that Everton sometimes play in, the sort of, the almost attacking of what they're doing with Cleverly is quite interesting because mm-hmm. he's not been played in that way for quite a few fights, right? No. Um, and he's pushed out by McCarthy and Barry to sort of a weird accessory place in this side yeah and you wonder if that's going to really hurt martinez sacrificing some of the potential going forward for just his overall skill set that is replicated with other players in the team yeah but but then i mean you look at their bench and you realize why he's being played out there but then you think i mean they've got kevin morales yeah that's the name that comes to mind yeah there's some incredible talent in there and you do you kind of you look through both teams bench and you think well i'm wondering why they haven't um, scored too many goals. I, I mean, honestly, I'd have put Everton ahead of Spurs to get a result in this one, just because you would have said, well, Romelu Lukaku against Vertonghen and Alderweireld, you know, I, I actually quite fancy him against those guys. Yeah, maybe, but then we saw Tottenham really, I think, outshot Everton something like 20-9 to 9 in this game or something like that. So, um, Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, Pochettino will be very concerned that he didn't get three points out of this one. Uh, let's move to the game that we really wanted to focus on in this segment, which was the surprise result at Anfield. Uh, just give me your reaction to the game, Lawrence. Uh, this is the most re- surprising result of the weekend for me. Uh, even, more, um, even more so than the Chelsea result. I don't know how many Liverpool fans would have been surprised by it. Really? Quite a few of them wow. have been... Yeah, I, I think... There's been some quite. We've said it already. There's been some quite lazy analysis of the way that Liverpool have played. Um, you know, Arsenal scored a legitimate goal against them earlier in the week, and that would have mm-hmm. been the clean sheet gone. That breaks the overall media narrative of, of you know Simon Mignolet in that back line mm-hmm. uh, looking fairly good. They let in very three very sloppy goals, which is maybe a, a positive for them because the Lovren mistake. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe maybe it'll, maybe it'll be an eye opener. Partly, yeah, but then I mean, what you. What you have to say is this: the culture that's at Liverpool right now isn't helping when they lose games like this, mm-hmm. um, because it almost goes against them. You know, Lovren shut his Instagram account because allegedly he had threats from people. Um, there's just kind of a very sort of extreme swinging between 
this team's going to do well. This team's not going to do well. Is Brendan Rodgers peaking? Is he not peaking? Will he go? Will he stay? I think Liverpool need to probably remain quite level-headed and, and look at this within the wider context. Arsenal also lost to this West Ham side. Mm-hmm. Another T side within the league that Liverpool drew earlier in the week and arguably dominated in the first half. This team looked really... Uh, the, the, the worrying thing, I think, is the motivational side for Liverpool and how they didn't look up for this game. Very few of them did. Moreno, when right. he came on, looked up for it. Milner look, looked up for it when he came on. I think what's interesting is, and I think this is the contrast between the two sides, if Liverpool had signed any of the players that scored goals against them, Richard, mm-hmm. how many of them would you think fans and analysts out there would say, that's a quality signing for Liverpool? Mm-hmm. That's interesting because somebody like a Diafrasaco would really uh, add to the depth there and at least uh, provide but, a different but, option. But, but in Liverpool colours no, and in this Brendan yeah. Rodgers team, like, do, it, you really th- do you really think that people would be congratulating him no, on a they good summer? And, and then also somebody like Mark Noble seems more like a Rory Hodgson signing than a uh, Brendan Rodgers signing. Exactly. So what I'm saying is within that... Just look at the difference between these two sides and just look at the motivation and look at maybe well, what the, the thinking that's going on at Liverpool right now. They've loaned Markovic out. Um, and you sort of think, well, you know, he was one of the players that Liverpool fans were most looking forward to seeing at the beginning of the season because he's direct. He, you know, he almost looks like he's stepping on hot coals when he's running because he's sort of, you know, constantly tentatively touching the ball. And then the player that all the play went through got sent off early in mm. the second half. And that leaves him out of the United game. Yeah. And so sh- what's Liverpool's plan now? It's unclear what they've done all year without Coutinho. Obviously, uh, Coutinho scored that goal against Stoke. And if he doesn't score that goal against Stoke, it looks like a game that people are probably going to be a little bit disappointed with. Walk away kind of saying, well, what did we do all match? And that seems to be the story of Felipe Coutinho for Liverpool. He just once every three or four games kind of saves you. And it absolves them from coming up with some other option. It also absolves them from really... grappling with Felipe Cacchino's limitations. He's a very, very good player, but he's also not somebody that's going to have the kind of minute-to-minute influence that a David Silva is going to have. He's going to have these moments of brilliance, uh, which means it becomes a little bit more precarious when you rely on him as much as they seem to be relying on him. And when you build a midfield that is going to have a Milner and a Henderson and then rely on him to be somebody that can augment their lack of creativity. I, I, I think it's a good team, Lawrence, but I think and this is kind of a theme for the show this week, I think it is a good wake-up call that, one, they realize that the the defense might actually have some questions, particularly the left side of that defense, and two, that they still have to answer, develop some of these options going forward, these Bintekes and these Firminos, to give them a little bit more independence from relying on Cochino. Yeah, certainly so. Um, And I think to some extent Firmino is developing into that, but he almost looks almost too independent out on the pitch. He doesn't look linked in enough to the rest of the play. Mm. Um, And then you'd also say with Benteke, I think he he was fantastic against Arsenal. Uh, And then he struggled with the way that Liverpool were playing against West Ham, mainly because Liverpool were chasing the game from very early on. Mm. And that didn't really suit them. And I really enjoyed... Uh, the the side that Slavan Bilic bought post-game when he sort of said, we came and parked the bus, but we left the handbrake off. Um, and it was quite... Because what he basically means there is... Well, well, 
he basically means we played well and we defended in the way that we want to. Right. And it worked. You know, I mean, basically what he said was to Liverpool, okay, come and get us. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have any answers to that. Well, I, that. And Liverpool didn't look very energized to go out there and do it. Yeah. Milner and possibly Moreno were the only two players that looked energized. Maybe Danny Ings when he came on. Well, that's the risk. Danny Ings definitely, I think, too. Um, but that's the risk. You know, you're the favorite team. You're playing at home. You give up not one, but two early goals. A team that's probably going to sit back and wait for you to come on to them anyway gets emboldened by that. And Liverpool really got caught. Um, but as we both saying, maybe it's going to be a wake-up call. Uh, maybe we need a little bit of a wake-up call here too, Lawrence, because we're really over time. And it's time It's time to bring Karthik Krishnayar back in the show. So stay with us, everybody. When we come back, we'll go over the European results. We'll talk about Kartik's Player of the Week and his top fours. And we'll start looking forward to the international break and the close of the transfer window. This is the World Soccer Talk Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Last segment of a very long show. Uh, let's take a look at Europe before bringing Kartik Krishnayer back in. Uh, in Germany, perhaps the match of the weekend saw two of the Bundesliga's perfect teams meet at the Allianz Arena, where Bayern, starting a team that didn't have any natural central defenders in Pep Guardiola's selection, got two second-half penalty kicks to beat Bayer Leverkusen 3-0. Borussia Dortmund, meanwhile, is up to 11 goals through three games, but finally conceded in its 3-1 home win over Hertha Berlin. Those two teams, Dortmund and Bayern, are tied at the top of the table with nine points. In Italy, if last weekend's opening weekend loss to Udinese wasn't wake-up call enough, consider this a big reality check. Juventus, down to nine men in the second half, lose 2-1 to one at the Stadio Olimpico to their main title challenger, Roma. Roma getting goals from Miriam Pjanic and Aiden Dzeko. Juventus now has no points through two rounds. In Spain, Real Madrid bounced back from last week's disappointment at Sporting Gijón with a 5-0 win over another recently promoted team, Real Betis. Gareth Bale had two, James Rodriguez had two, Karim Benzema had a goal. It's remarkable what that team can do when it can start all of its stars. Elsewhere, Barcelona won 1-0, but perhaps the most impressive result of the weekend Atletico Madrid a 3-0 win at the Sanchez Pizjuan over Sevilla and in France where we usually expect 1-0s from Paris Saint-Germain not this weekend at Monaco thanks to two second half goals from Edison Cavani a 3-0 win over Monaco Paris Saint-Germain perfect at the top of Ligue 1 Kartik Krishnayer is back with us now Kartik what from Europe is jumping out to you Oh, Borussia Dortmund, they're, they're, they're back to their high level of excitement. Uh, Kagawa has slid right back into that team and improved them. Uh, Tuchel, the second consecutive manager they've taken from Mainz, uh, uh, kind of in, in many ways a, a, a very similar manager to Klopp uh, in background and style. Uh, he, he's got them playing really good football. Abiy Mayang, Mkhitaryan, they're, they're off the charts good thus far this season. Can they keep this up? Uh, keep the pace with Bayern the whole season. I'm not sure they can, but uh, their first 11 isn't much different than Bayern's, in my opinion. It's just the depth is not is not there, and and and, and Dortmund uh, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't necessarily have uh, uh, the the plan B if they if they get raided again in the in, in the transfer window. Uh, let's say in January. Mm-hmm. Akartik, your player of the week. We missed it last segment because of the way we're doing the show this week. Lawrence went for Raheem Sterling, t- stole that from you. I went for Dusan Tadic, just for contrarian reasons. Uh, who was your player of the week this weekend? Well, it was going to be uh, well. Sterling, Sterling is on my is on my list, but I'm going to go with Mane. So we're, we're both going with Southampton players. I thought Mane mm-hmm. was really, really good today, uh, drifting into wide areas, finding pockets of space. Now, of course, he, they were playing against a ten man uh, Norwich team for much of the game, but he was really good. He yeah. and Pella were looking up well. 
Tadic, uh, after his midweek comments, uh, he had to give a performance, and he didn't, and that's why you chose him. But uh, you see why Manchester United wants Mane, why they need him, and you also saw that today in the way they perform. So uh, he's my player of the week, and, and Southampton, uh, they're out of Europe. Uh, that's really unfortunate for the club because it was yeah. such a big deal that they had qualified. But um, now maybe their lack of depth will be exposed through the Premier League season. Your top four teams right now, obviously everybody's going to have City number one on form by far, maybe one of the best teams in Europe right now beyond England. Uh, who's t- two through four on your list? Okay, so City's one, obviously. I'm going two, I guess I'm going to go two Swansea, uh, three Palace. I know mm-hmm. that that's, that two and three is, is a little is a little jumbled. And four. Um, four is hard. Gosh, yeah, four is hard. I mean, it's, 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 it's got to be either Leicester, who still, they seem to find ways to grind out results, or Arsenal, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, have not played well yet this season, but uh, are not, uh, they're getting results other than that West Ham game. So maybe uh, uh, maybe we'll go Arsenal just for for little variety this week instead of Leicester. Now, coming into this week's show, you were the one person on the panel that was still picking Chelsea to win the league. So after this weekend, has your top four changed? Uh, it wasn't going to until that that uh, Ward goal because he, even with a draw, I thought Chelsea. Okay, they've got Radamel Falcao going. He got the cross from Pedro. I think Falcao is going to have a big year for them actually, and I've said that since they signed him. But I thought that the problem last season was United was a was a was a freak show, and Louis Van Hall didn't didn't give him consistent games, consistent time. Mm. Uh, but again. They gave up a late winner at the bridge. They've given up at least and, two goals in every game so far, too. Yeah, right, right. And I think uh, there's, there's certain things that have to happen. Uh, I'm wondering if John Ovi Mikel might be back in that team rather quickly, Oof. even though he's limited going forward, yeah. because they yeah. don't have they don't have an effective shield in front of a back four that's in itself not very good. So <laughs> uh, Matic and Fabregas aren't doing the job in central midfield. Uh, so I'm, Chelsea's out. Uh, they're not number one anymore. So it's Manchester City, two Chelsea, three Arsenal, four... Goodness, I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 Liverpool. That was a that that that's kind of embarrassing. You're going to play yeah. that back at the end of the season and, for and, Swansea. And mock me. Uh, no, I mean Liverpool's not in my top four. Liverpool may not be in my yeah. top ten after the way they performed. Go for um, Swansea. Go for I, Spurs. I can't, I, I can't tell you. Like Lawrence already discussed in the last segment. I cannot tell you how bad that was and how I think you don't want to overblow one result. But that performance and Big wake what up it call. said about Liverpool, it's just they're they're not even a top half club at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, course they'll recover from that so for <sighs> manchester united or swansea i guess uh jeez uh, i guess i'm gonna go with the swans just for mm. for, for for some fun now uh, without jefferson montero they beat they beat manchester united and i guess uh what we're seeing is they have so much quality and we've talked about this on the show before with shelby sigurdsson montero uh, and then uh, you've got routledge and dyer coming off the bench and and then ayu and gomi they as long as their defense holds, they're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, they look like a very strong team. And they've taken four points off of two of the, uh, I don't want to say best teams in the league, but the best funded teams in the league so far. Um, Kartik, let's talk about the two matches this weekend that we weren't able to get to between you and Lawrence in the previous segments. Uh, Stoke City versus West Brom. I, I don't really know what we should take from this one. Two early red cards had Stoke playing with nine for most of these matches. How much should we really read into these matches where we see these early red cards? I don't like reading much into them at all, and, and I, I can't take anything away from Stoke or uh, 
West Brom at this point. I just have to say Stokes had a lot of bad luck to start the season, and uh, Sparky's got an international break to figure it out. They've got Bojan coming back yeah. in a couple of weeks, and that, that's that's significant for them. Uh, for West Brom, Solomon Rondon is a very, very good signing. Obviously, he's the club record signing. Johnny Evans is a good signing also for them. Uh, Rondon, a great goal, well-taken goal against nine men, of course. Uh, this, the backstory on this, uh, two, two talking points here. The backstory on this is that they've, they've limited uh, – Foreign players are seven down to six. Uh, Richard, as you pointed out to in, me, in uh, Russia, offline yeah. in Russia. So AVB uh, calls Pulis and says, "I've got this player, fits your style," um, and <laughs> Pulis is all over it, right? Because Rondon fits. He, he's, he, you know, he would have been at Stoke. This would have been a guy that he would have signed at Stoke or. At yeah, he's a great. He's a great worker. Yeah, he's a great, great Pulis type player. So they've signed Ron, Rondon. Now that's great for for a Tony Pulis managed team. But now West Brom is loading up on Pulis-style players when they had a very clear model uh, economically that hopefully doesn't get busted by the signing of a Rondon who is uh, out of the typical West Brom price range and, and the decision to not sell Berahino to Spurs, although maybe by the time you listen yeah. to this, they would have revisited that because it makes no sense to me. And they haven't sound Brown, sold Brown a die. Uh, they've signed Fletcher. They've signed Evans. They've signed all these guys, uh, big-name players since Pulis has come in. So... Uh, West Brom, they'll stay up. They'll be mid-table as long as Pulis is the manager. But will they? Will the budget be busted for the next guy? Yeah, we know Tony Pulis's net spend at uh, Stoke was impressive for the wrong reasons. Let's move on to uh, the last match. People were calling this a six-pointer. Every match is a six-pointer. Let's stop using that term. But there was this sense that we would get some idea about two teams that look like they're going to battle relegation this year. Aston Villa, Sunderland. Uh, Sunderland gets the early goal from Jan and Villa. Two goals from Scott Sinclair. And then Jermaine Lenz ends up tying it in the second half. Uh, what are your takeaways from this one, Kartik? This is another one where I think farther into the season, I'm probably just going to kind of forget about this result. Yeah, although that's a good point for Sunderland. I, I, they've gotten two results now back-to-back that yeah. I, I didn't expect them to get. And Dick Advocat is kind of grinding it out. Jan Villa is a very good player. He's a player that would have gone to a higher-profile club. Although, I, I just uh, did this exercise earlier today and looked at the wage bills from last season. Manchester United had the highest wage bill in the league. Uh, second was City, third was Chelsea, no surprise. Fourth was Arsenal. Sunderland were seventh, and Newcastle were ninth. Yeah. So, um, they, the, the clubs in the Northeast have huge wage bills. So, uh, again, adding an MV and adding a Jermaine Lenz, also another high-profile player, uh, I guess just adds to that wage bill. But they've got those players, uh, and uh, they're probably going to be functional, and I think this is a, a good result. Uh, now, for Villa, uh, Sherwood's playing a very, very kind of open, attack-minded style. Uh, Scott Sinclair had five goals this week between League Cup and the league. Uh, I, I, I like the way they're playing. It's very different than Lambert. Uh, the question yeah. is, Lambert kept them in the league consistently. And Villa fans hate, don't like Paul Lambert at all because of the style of football, but he kept them in the league. Will Sherwood keep them in the league playing this way? They're they're a little too open at the back. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Although, like you, I, I tend to be open-minded as to what that approach will lead to as far as survival. Uh, Kartik, international break is here. Nobody's happy about it. We've talked about that for years. Let's actually talk about some of the games. They start on Thursday. We're not going to go through all of them. We're focusing on Euro qualifying here, although there's World Cup qualifying actually going on in Africa and Asia, so look for those games also. But on Thursday, I think the big one is the Netherlands hosting Iceland. Iceland is in first place in Group A ahead of the Czech Republic and the Netherlands. Big week for the Netherlands, and I think this is going to be a big test of their new coach. 
coach uh, Danny Blind. And before we get to the game, I have to say is I hate these international breaks, as everyone knows. But I'm thankful now that the NASL and the MLS and the U.S. don't break for internationals because I've got I've got club games to, to attend and watch next weekend. So right. um, thankfully, so the Dutch are in dire shape. Uh, the idea of them not qualifying for a 2014 tournament in Europe just seems so uh, so ridiculous. Uh, Danny Blinn's first uh, first game as manager, first uh, full uh, first competitive match, and this is a big one. Iceland has got uh, a solid team. Uh, they, you know, I, I just maybe it's a new manager bounce and, and the Dutch win, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. I, I I think Iceland on the surface should take take, take a point out of this. Yeah, get a result. Netherlands are adopting the Portugal model of uh, stumbling into each tournament, and I, I think right. you know the Netherlands really outside of major tournaments have not been that impressive for quite some time. And they're never good in qualifying. Yeah, so uh, remains to be seen. Iceland has been very good in qualifying, winning five of six in that group. Uh, also on Friday, Belgium versus Bosnia. Belgium is chasing Wales in Group B. Bosnia right now is in fifth out of six teams, but they're only one point behind uh, the playoff spot, which is currently occupied by Israel. Israel. Um, it's in Belgium. You got to figure Belgium are going to take this one. Very talented, very highly ranked Belgian team still trying to track down Wales. Yeah, Bosnia started qualifying so poorly, and, and uh, that was surprising. Th- them and Greece were the real two big disappointments. It's been, uh, Greece, especially, it's beginning mm-hmm. qualifying. But they're in a position where they can they can chase this down and get into a playoff, which I expect them to finish there in that group. They won't get anything in this game. Belgium. Uh, uh, do this exercise, and maybe, maybe since we focus a lot on the Premier League on this pod, maybe this is the wrong pod to discuss it. But actually, um, because there'll be biased people, this will maybe have some of the same biases as I do. But if you look at the squad for Belgium, compare them the player for player to any other international squad. I don't see how Belgium, and we know there are other issues, right, in the country as far as uh, 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 harmony and, and, and ethnicities, but uh, I, I don't see how they're not the favorite next season, next year in the Euros. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Friday, Germany lost 2-0 in Poland. As a result, they're one point behind Poland in Group D. Now they get Poland in Germany. you got to expect Joachim Love's team to correct that. I expect them to correct that, but it will be a battle that was such an important historic psychological victory for Poland. Uh, both both these teams are going to qualify, so uh, I think they're one and two. They'll be one and two in the group. Uh, Scotland and, and Republic of Ireland are, are fighting for third, uh, and so the top two. Uh, let's remind our listeners: Euros this time is twenty four teams, not sixteen. So top two from each group go automatically. Third place from. All but one of the groups, uh, remind me, they go to a playoff, right? Is there one third-place team that's out completely? Um, I, I think it's based on points. Um, just the, the short group, there's one group with five. Uh, basically, you don't count the six, your results against the sixth-place team in oh, your group. Oh, right, right, right. Exactly. And then it's okay. just based on the, the one team that finishes ninth out of the resulted ranking does not go to the playoffs. So Right, and we know the short group will never include... Uh, a high-profile country because of TV money. So England, Spain, France, uh, Holland will never be in the and Germany will never be in groups. Um, so running a little bit short on time, other key matches uh, during qualifying, Russia hosts Sweden on Saturday, fight for second place in that group. Turkey uh, hosts the Netherlands again, another big test for the Netherlands. And then Scotland has a chance to close some ground on Germany in their group on Monday. But uh, one last game I want to get a comment from you on, Kartik, is on Saturday, Spain versus Slovakia. Uh, what really 
jumped out to me about this game, a very important game in that group, is that Spain has now brought back in Juan Mata and Santi Casola, players that are Premier League stars but haven't exactly had the same kind of impact in the national team. I think David Silva is another player that hasn't had the same impact with the national team. And uh, it just makes me wonder if Del Bosque, after a disappointing World Cup, still hasn't quite found the identity that he's going to move forward forward with into this next tournament. I completely agree with that. I don't have anything to add to that then. I think Del Bosque is scraping for uh, those veteran players. He's been doing this entirely through qualifying. Now he's recalled these two guys, Mata and Cathola. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's worrying because I, I don't know. Uh, Spain had the, the best historic run, arguably, in international football history, save maybe Brazil in, in the, mm-hmm. in the night, from 58 to 70. And, uh, but I don't know where Spain's going to be in, uh, in, in uh, July, August 2016, right after uh, the Euros. They're just... Uh, I think they're. I think they're ready for a DOS reboot. To quote our friend uh, <laughs> Raphael Honningstein, I think they're there. Unfortunately, yeah. So going into next summer, to me, it does look like Germany as a favorite, but only because of pedigree and the results in the World Cup, and Belgium really the second favorite, and yeah. a bunch of traditional powers like Spain and Italy, France to a lesser extent. I think we're going to see some improvement from that team, but um, a little bit off the pace from those uh, teams. Kartik, let's talk transfer window. It's going to be the big news of the week. Uh, most of this ends up being speculation. So let's just focus on what we think the teams need to do. Chelsea, obviously Mourinho is implicitly imploring his team to do something, but do you actually think that the club is actually going to be making major news in the coming days? No, unless uh, uh, Everton relents, and uh, that's a lot of money for Everton. We know that Everton's the club that's constantly crying poverty. Now, now maybe they're not as poor as we think because they have spent a fair amount in the transfer window, but part of it was that David Moyes would always find bargains uh, for years and years and years. So Martinez has spent a little more, but I don't know how they turned down the $40 million. Well, that money's going to be there in January and next June, too. So maybe it's just a matter of we know this money's going to be there, but it's for our plans, it's better to cash in later than now. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I guess uh, uh, you have to respect uh, Kent Wright and Martinez with the decision <laughs> they apparently have made, but uh, I, it may be a little bit nuts because if the player gets injured, yep. that's a lot of money for it. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, another team that we don't think is going to do anything, Arsenal, this is just beguiling to me because it's getting to the point where Arsene Wenger seems very prickly about the notion that his evaluation of his players might not match the more common evaluation of players like Giroud, Coquelin, these players that are very good, but a lot of people think need to be upgraded to compete for a title. Yeah, he's very prickly about the evaluation of those players. Now, the one guy that he that it was proven that we were all wrong and he was right was Aaron Ramsey. So yes. three, four seasons ago, we're, we're saying... Why is Aaron Ramsey not only why is he still at Arsenal, but why is he pl- starting in every game? And he eventually came good. And I think that one data point has now led Wenger to hold mm. on to his assessment of every other player because now he's got that. He said, "Well, you all thought Ramsey was a Stoke City level <laughs> player, and he's, he's throwing it in our faces." Yeah, and he's thrown the Ramsey example in our faces many times. So he is. I've said this before, Lawrence. He, uh, sorry, Richard. Um, <laughs> he is a zealot. To, to a large extent, I love Arsene Wenger. I respect the heck out of him, but he is so ideologically tied to his guys and his style. And at this point, his assessment of a player cannot be off. Mm-hmm. Uh, that having been said, his assessment of guys that he's dumped, he generally knows when guys are on the back end of their careers. So he dumped Van Persie maybe a year or two soon, but it was the right move. He dumped Fabregas. He didn't re-sign Fabregas. Probably the right move. Dumped uh, uh, guys like Cleet at the right time. So... Um, Alex Song also. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he's got that touch, but um, 
they're not going to win the title with this team. As good as Alexis Sanchez is, as good as Ozil is when he's on, and as good as, yes, uh, Ramsey and, and uh, Wilshire, well, when Wilshire's fit, Ramsey, Walcott, all the guys that he's, mm-hmm. he's now, um, he's going to live and die with those guys, right, yeah. uh, Richard? The, 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 the British core of guys that he's kept, and now added Danny Welbeck, who I like a lot, but is now getting injured like a typical Arsenal player a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that core, but is it good enough to win a title? No, it's a good core to build around. But yes. he's he really hasn't added, other than Sanchez and Ozil, the kind of quality you need around it. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, Manchester City, they're done at this point, right? Correct. Yeah, they're done unless uh, someone gets sold. I think... Uh, there's no more uh, no more buys. Now, on the other hand, Manchester United has been linked with, we mentioned Mane earlier in the show. Uh, they were in for Pedro, seem to be wanting to uh, continue to stock up there, be it Mane or somebody else. They probably aren't done, right? <laughs> well, they need Mane badly. He'd, he'd be, great, uh, he'd be Ma- a great fit there. He'd be a great fit. They didn't get Pedro. Uh, that, again, uh, Chelsea has hijacked everybody's business the last couple of years. I don't know who they're they're in for. I mean, the, the idea of Tomas Muller is is, is absurd. <laughs> Pep yes. is not selling him. Uh, Bayern is not selling him. And uh, I I don't know. They need somebody. I, I can't. Uh, if they don't get Mane, uh, what kind of player do they have out there? Are they so? Here's what they will do. They will probably overpay for a player like they did for Juan Mata and for Marouane Fellaini um, and for Angel Di Maria out of desperation. So who could that be? I I I, I don't know right now, but. 48 hours from now, we'll probably be talking about why they they paid $60 million for somebody. And we're hearing that Chicharito might be going to Germany. That's, these are the rumors today. Might be going to Leverkusen, be on loan or a permanent move. But they need somebody better than Chicharito that can be a well, backup. Well, they, they sold Danny Welbeck to Arsenal. Uh, yes. So that's, that's really... I, I, I know I, I've gone on about it for, for 12 months now, but that really, to me, speaks to United's arrogance and their lack of forward planning. And uh, they've just handed, now he's always injured, but they've handed a player to Arsenal who's better than the comparable player on United. And Arsenal's a better team than United already. Mm-hmm. Uh, far, farther down the table, we know Liverpool probably has spent what they're going to spend. Tottenham is in for Berahino. We'll see if they have to go to a backup plan. What I'm really interested in is the teams that are kind of in that middle ground that are kind of pecking at European spots or maybe even a Champions League run this year. Swansea, Southampton, Crystal Palace. Do we expect activity from those teams? Palace is... Uh got a pretty built-out team around a team. My question is, will will Spurs come in for Velasse? Will someone come in for Yedinak? Uh, that's my question about mm-hmm. them. Swansea, maybe they could use a, a, another uh, another central defender uh, uh, to, to pair with Ashley Williams. Uh, maybe not. I, I think they're they, they're looking at depth. And uh, and a team like Stoke, Stoke is uh, is being ravaged by... Uh, by injuries and red cards, but it, it seems like they, if you just look at pay, on paper, Sparky will probably has his, his team set now that they've got Shakiri on that side. Well, one team that is set is, of course, this t- trio, myself, Kartik Krishna, and Lawrence McKenna. Uh, when we come back, it'll be the three of us together on the same show as opposed to breaking it up. Uh, whether that'll be next week or in two weeks, we haven't, to be honest with you, quite decided if we're going to do a show this coming Sunday. We might take the weekend off. Uh, but until then, for Lawrence McKenna, who is long gone and asleep in London, uh, I'm Richard Farley. Kartik? Enjoy your football. The World Soccer Talk podcast is produced by Christopher Harris and Richard Farley and is a production of WorldSoccerTalk.com. For more information on the show, check us out at WorldSoccerTalk.com or subscribe through our iTunes feed. You can follow World Soccer Talk on Twitter at World Soccer Talk or follow the show's hosts 
Lawrence McKenna is at Lawscast. Kartik Krishnar is at KKFLA737. And I'm at Richard Farley. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 